1: We regard ransomware attacks for This Is One as almost a a little bit like a fire in a building.
0: That was Jonathan Armstrong. I'm Tom Fox, and we are the duo of Life with GDPR. In this episode, we take a look at the Blackboard case, which originally came out in July 2020. It's a ransomware attack, which was one of the early ransomware attacks, but Jonathan sees lots of lessons learned, particularly around the class action lawsuits, which inevitably developed after this ransomware attack. It is an interesting topic, but more importantly, a timely topic for you, the compliance professional. I know you will enjoy it. I hope you check out one or more of the other podcasts on the award-winning Compliance Podcast Network, www CompliancePodcastNetwork.net Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox back with Jonathan Armstrong You know, Jonathan, we need to get a moniker for you uh, since you're on so many podcasts <laughs> um, but uh, we're here for a new 2022 season of life with GDPR so we've got some interesting cases that Jonathan has been following uh, I won't say very loudly but perhaps working on I didn't say that very loudly but uh, because that would certainly be inappropriate, and we would never do that on this podcast. So, Jonathan, uh, I've already told you a welcome for the new year, but how about a welcome for the GDPR fans?
1: Yeah, uh, happy new year to all of you. I hope 2022 is peaceful and prosperous for you all.
0: Well, Jonathan, you, uh, or you, rather, I guess you are the greater Cordery, and Cordery is the greater you, um, had a client alert on a case that's been percolating now for uh, 18 months and maybe uh, on our radar for quite some time going forward, the Blackboard case. Uh, So could you tell us why uh, you and your colleagues thought you should revisit this? And are there new lessons to be learned since your original uh, post- Uh, discussions of this case.
1: Yeah, thanks, Tom. And and I think the the simple answer is, I think, yes, they are. I think quite often we regard ransomware attacks for this is one as almost a, a little bit like a fire in a building that the ransomware attack happens and the fire brigade rush to the scene with their blue lights and sirens, and then the thing is over. And whilst some of that is true ransomware does require a good uh, you know a good team to rush to the scene of the crime and do all they can to stop the attack spreading just as we do all we can to stop a fire spreading the consequences of a ransomware attack can keep going on and on and so we thought it might be useful to take one of the attacks of mid-2020, the Blackboard attack, and to look at the consequences some 18 months later. And as a recap, the Blackboard attack, uh, Blackboard is uh, a CRM provider, and they provide systems to higher education, like universities, to healthcare, uh, to not-for-profit, and particularly some well-known charities both in the US and over in Europe. And the, the jury's still out on whether data was put into the hands of people it shouldn't have been. Uh, Blackboard seems to say that, uh, uh, that they stopped the attack before personal data was shared publicly. But at least one customer based in the U.S. has said it believes its data was exposed. But regardless of whether that's true or not, it's obvious that the consequences are still being felt, both in terms of regulatory investigations and in terms of litigation as well.
0: Uh, One of the things that um, kind of struck me in reading your uh, client alert that I really wanted to explore with you is – Um, I'm not quite sure of your background in uh, kind of civil litigation, but in the world I came from around uh, personal injury and property damage and things like that, there's the concept of risk shifting. And risk shifting uh, is used in the insurance context because that's what insurance does. It shifts the risks. You can have an indemnity agreement, which shifts risks. Mm-hmm. And it struck me in reading your client alert that I'm, I'm beginning to see that sort of concept of risk shifting, where the regulators are saying, yes, you may have been feloniously attacked, but the, we're going to put that risk on you. And that risk means that others who are damaged, whether through your, frankly, negligence or not, um, are going to be able to recover against you. And, and it's almost a public policy argument. Do you see some of that from the regulators or is that just a concept that really applies to a different area of the law?
1: No, I I think there is definitely merits in that approach. It's important to say, I think, that there are ongoing regulatory investigations and there is ongoing litigation. So, if we take the regulatory actions first, In July 2020, the UK Dead Protection Authority, the ICO, said that they were investigating the attack. And we haven't had smoke from the funnel yet, and we don't know the results of that investigation. But we do know, because Blackboard have have disclosed it in its public filings, that there are also investigations from equivalent authorities in Australia, Canada, Ireland, and Spain. And obviously, three of those jurisdictions are GDPR systems. And effectively, they say that the data controller, so the organization who owns the data, I'm putting owns in inverted commas, and that's a simplification, uh, is responsible for the data. And if it subcontracts to a data processor like Blackboard, then it's responsible for Blackboard's performance too, even though Blackboard do have some obligations under GDPR to to report breaches in a timely manner, for example, to their customers, which may or may not have happened in this case. Australia and Canada have similar systems. We have had ransomware attacks where the Australian investigation, for example, has taken longer than the GDPR-based investigation. It's fair to say that there are a number of investigations ongoing in the US as well, from state attorney generals, from the FTC, from the SEC, and from the US Department of Health and Human Services. But as far as the class actions are concerned, then uh, again, I think in some respects, you're right. There are some class actions that are against Blackboard, but there are others against Blackboard's customers. So in the UK, for example, there are threatened proceedings against the National Trust, a large charity that looks after uh, historic monuments, scenic coastline, etc., and against the Labour Party, the main opposition party in the UK. And one law firm has said that it's investigating claims against nine universities. So there's definitely the potential here, at least, to. Sue Blackboard if you think that they were uh, processing your data unlawfully. But the more likely litigation, I think, is against Blackboard's customers to say effectively that they trusted uh, Blackboard to process this data and Blackboard let them down. But that enables people to sue the organizations that they dealt with.
0: What's the basis of that cause of action suing a customer? Is it grounded in uh, GDPR itself or are there other UK legislation which might allow that, Jonathan?
1: I think the simple answer is both. I think in a future podcast, we're going to talk about some of the recent uh, data breach litigation cases. But effectively, there is a right of action in data protection law if people have Uh, suffered distress or inconvenience and we're seeing a rise of those types of actions as i say we'll we'll talk about that on the on the next podcast but it's important to say i think that a lot of these threatened actions don't go anywhere sometimes because people can't prove distress they can't prove loss and obviously it's often harder to prove distress and loss if there is no evidence of exfiltration now that could change it could be that these details start and appear on the dark web and that could expose people to identity theft and so on but in some respects the actions seem to be predicated at the moment on the fear of harm rather than harm itself and that might not be enough to get them uh, through the court process,
0: we're going to have a quick message from our sponsor, and we'll be right back with more from Jonathan Armstrong.
1: Jonathan, near the
0: end of the client alert, you provide some concrete steps that uh, clients or others can put forward. And frankly, you've said these, I don't know how many times (laughs) since we started this podcast. (laughs) Uh, So I won't repeat the ones that you've consistently said, but I thought um, one that may be shaded a little bit differently was the ongoing nature of both the operational and contractual relationship with your counterparty, and here if we use Blackboard, uh, if you're a customer of Blackboard, and then ongoing due diligence, uh, and then uh, an evaluation of the potential penalties against uh, your service provider, um, uh, and then, of course, the probably the one I've heard you talk the most about over the years, is is preparing for a breach. So I was wondering if you could uh, maybe uh, give a few words about the ongoing nature of what you see as, as due diligence or uh, whatever the relationship might be a customer might have with their service provider, and then remind us again how to prepare for a breach.
1: Yeah, so… Um... I'm very happy to. I think, first of all, you're right. People have to do proper due diligence against uh, their providers. Just because they're the market leader in that particular space doesn't mean to say that you can ignore doing due diligence against them. We do know that some very large tech businesses are somewhat cavalier in the way in which they handle personal data so you have to do that due diligence piece it's going to be more than sending out a questionnaire at the start of the engagement you're going to have to monitor them and if and if there is a data breach then obviously that triggers a review you have to look at what the organization could or should have done to prevent that breach and again that's not, not going to be sufficient to dig out the old questionnaire because obviously something has failed if they're reporting a breach. And audit rights, in my view, are very important. We've had uh, prov- uh, clients with providers in similar situations where the provider has ignored everything other than an exercise of audit rights. And in one case, we had to show up at the door exercising audit rights before they would take the client's concerns seriously. So you definitely need that in contracts. And you also need to make sure that there's sufficient skin in the game. We've had one client where they, were, um, they had a, a fairly big uh, data breach of some very sensitive information, but there was a very low dollar number on their liability. And as soon as we asked questions of the provider, the provider effectively just said, okay, we're going to pay you out this small amount of money that is the contractual cap we're not going to answer your questions anymore. That's going to put you in an embarrassing position with regulators and in a bad position with any uh, litigation that you're going to suffer. So you need to make sure that data processors have sufficient skin in the game. And then you also need to rehearse uh, for events as well. And it's a good idea to rehearse not only a breach that happens on your premises or your servers, but a breach of your suppliers as well. Because different strategies are often needed. You're often having to make decisions where you don't have full possession of the information. And you know, in a desktop exercise that isn't properly simulated, you can say, oh, we're gonna ask the supplier for X, Y, and Z information. But the reality is that in the heat of battle, oftentimes you don't get much information at all. We're dealing with another incident on behalf of some clients where there was a breach in December which looked like a ransomware attack. The organization concerned are giving daily updates but we're recording this on the 12th of January so we're about six weeks in and we still don't have much more information on whether there's been exfiltration, which data has been locked, etc., etc. So you have to rehearse, and that rehearsal has to include preparing for a situation where you don't really have a lot of information to go on. So how will you make that report to regulators? How will you make yourself uh, litigation ready? And then on that risk shifting point that you talked about earlier. course, the other way in which people try and risk shift is to try and insurance back this risk. But that's unlikely to be the get out of jail card here. We have already seen the insurance market tighten. I think we can definitely expect that tightening to continue through 2022. And absent putting proper measures in place, some organisations aren't going to get insurance at all. And those who can insure might find that insurers' attitudes harden, particularly when they haven't done due diligence on their providers. So I think there is a need to prepare for breaches like this. They are inevitable because of the amount of stuff that most corporations outsource these days. So it's best to be prepared.
0: Jonathan, uh, we're going to take up class actions in a little bit deeper detail in our next podcast, but I wanted to end with asking you, are you seeing finally a shift in corporate attitudes towards data protection, Uh, not so much data privacy, but data protection? And and is the message is, you and your quarterly colleagues have been, frankly, preaching for or three years now beginning to resonate, or is it really just a a company by company uh, depending on their culture?
1: I think it's probably the latter. I think good corporations are getting better at looking at data breaches and looking at risk. I think the other parallel thing that's raising awareness is those awkward questions that are being asked whenever they try and do a transaction, You know, if they try and sell a subsidiary, if they try and raise cash on the capital markets if they try and sell the business they're getting asked questions about data breaches and if they've had a data breach they're getting asked for the full nine yards so i think some corporations are becoming more aware and more interested in these issues because they want to and others because they see the commercial realities that a business that's got a reputation for having been leaky with data, is worth less than one that hasn't. And so that commercial realisation is making many people take those preparedness steps that uh, we've talked about.
0: Well, Jonathan, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode. I should have announced at the start of the podcast that I have ditched my ubiquitous cup of coffee for a cup of tea today in honor of your good self. (laughs) So with that, I hope our listeners will join us uh, for our next episode. Thank you, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of Life with GDPR, and I hope you'll join Jonathan Armstrong and myself again on this podcast series. I hope you will check out the latest edition to the Compliance Podcast Network, Presidential Leadership Lessons for Today's Business Leader, which has premiered on the Compliance Podcast Network. Also, check out Design Thinking in Compliance, where Karsten Tams and myself continue our exploration of how you can use the social engineering tool of design thinking to increase the engagement and effectiveness of your compliance program. Life with GDPR is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.
1: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.